Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, after a couple of weeks away. You feel like we need to blow the cobwebs out of our mics, man. <laughs> it's been, it's been a couple of weeks. We ha- we've had a lot going on in each of our lives. Well, we have, you have, yeah, very specifically, yeah, specifically. We are. Uh, were you a grandpa before? The- no, no, you weren't. No. So producer Micah uh, and his lovely wife um, had a baby boy last week. And, uh, and so, yeah, so last, so a week ago, we were busy, uh, celebrating Mr. Tylen Ray Teeman, who is a healthy nine pounder, just shy of nine pounds. Dude, that's a Christmas ham. (laughs) (laughs) Christmas. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's like, no wonder that took a while to, that labor, man. I was like, Ooh, yeah, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a really long delivery yeah, I mean, he took his good old time getting yeah. getting here. She, but I tell you, your daughter in law is like a prairie woman. Like, yeah, for sure. I could easily see her in oh. a covered wagon. No doubt about it. Right, like beating the cows, mm-hmm. you know, smacking the children. You know, Wouldn't phase her. A yeah, twenty one. Well, how old is she? Twenty two. Twenty two. Twenty two year old prairie woman. <laughs> like straight up, man. Laura, yeah. Laura Ingalls, who? <laughs> yeah, so so good. So we've been relishing in that for sure. And then you took a. I mean, speaking of you know covered wagons, you took a <laughs> trip out west. I did actually. <laughs> I took a trip west to where I could have grown up if my parent or grand whatever grandparents ancestors didn't stop in Nebraska, man. Like that, the Oregon Trail went right near where I was. I'm like, man, could you have at least waited till it got hard before you stopped? Like this is awesome up here, but no, we're out like where God took a rolling pin and just oh, it's just so smashed it down. But yeah, so, flat so yeah, and boring up there. But Wyoming was yeah, we were there with some pastors and some leaders, some uh, business guys from our church for a yeah. few days, and it was glorious just glorious and as you know when you shoot an ak-47 for the first time in your life there's just something that makes you come alive inside i don't know know if it happens to women or not but it like makes your scalp tingle yeah yeah i've had a couple of experiences of shooting uh ak's and um both of which have resulted in um how should i say this embarrassing moments I mean, of course, right? Like, gosh, I just find a way to screw it up. Well, you're a city boy. It's not your fault. I am a city boy. But, but you, you're a city boy that has found your your wild heart. <laughs> and I love it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I almost hit the target. But it's not, I mean, with that thing, it's not really even about hitting the target. Yeah, when you break out the AK. You're I mean, just letting it rip. Yeah, they, they'll, they'll fill the magazine up. I can't remember how many it holds, but it's basically... Isn't it's literally you're just getting in touch with your Rambo moment, you know? You're not <laughs> aiming it, you're holding it at your waist, you know, you're feeling like, uh, you know, or you know, African terrorists hold it that way as well. So I don't know what, exactly what we're trying to get in touch with, but uh, we we yeah, we broke out the AK, broke out the AR, uh, and I you know I'm always what I'm secretly doing is figuring out who's going to be on our team if the apocalypse goes down. True. I want to figure out who's on the front lines, and there's a couple candidates that were. Yeah. Well, a couple that were completely ruled out, and then uh, a couple that were like, oh, that guy was sneaky good. So, Well, yeah, I mean, uh, ironically, I had better luck with the twenty two than I did the AK. Like, yeah. I was I was hitting the target. Well, yeah, and, when, and the truth, like when it goes down, and whenever something's going down, the last thing you want is a weapon that you are, like, spray painting a wall with. <laughs> like, you're looking for some precision in it, and so... You know, an AK is fun for a party or for, uh, like, you know, like right. Russians or, like I said, Kalashnikovs, maybe they're the same thing. Uh, we're looking versus something more like an AR-15 that you can, you know. <laughs> Practical. Yeah, poke, you know, poke a deer in the heart oh, and eat it later, man. you know. Well, we're both glad to be back. I mean, it's it's been a wild month. And thank you to those that have been patient and been asking, you know, where you guys been? What's, where's, when's the next, next people, podcast? They ask you that? Yeah. I've Nobody a, asks me that. I feel I like I, I forget where you broadcast because I don't know anybody's <laughs> listening. But they've they're, been patient. They've been patient. Realizing we've got, we've got a few things going on around yeah. here. 
at Conduit. And so, and we've had a few guest speakers the past couple of weeks too, because we've been out, but we were back into our sermon series this week. You were uh, leading us through John chapter four, the first part of John chapter four. We're only through four chapters. We're not even through four chapters. We're like we just started, didn't we? We just started chapter four. Yeah. But I mean, we just started the series, right? Like that's August. Not, wait, what is it? It's October. middle of October. Okay. I guess that's not as fast as I thought. But <laughs> but it's faster than it could be. I mean, I guess you could say that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you read John on its surface, you know, they call the other three the synoptic gospels. It's like they all... Uh, Sort of like you remember this, you remember that. Like so, they're, they're telling a lot of the same stories. And and John, which I actually put put a chapter in my book about this, or part of my chapter in my book, because John was different. This guy was like a gift of mercy guy, and those guys do it different. They're just different, and this is different. Like the the whole thing starts different. Like uh, he's covering different parts of story. It's like, but he's definitely building a case for people to believe. That Jesus is who he said he is. And that turns out to be appropriate 2,000 years later. It wasn't just something that they would need then. It's something we need now, um, especially in, in Western culture. The idea that we can make Jesus into whoever we want him to be. Jesus can be one of many ways to the Father. You know, there's all these ways. He just, he left no room for that. And John's book. It's why I feel like I keep coming back to man. I feel like we just covered this. And the reason this is we just did because that's all John covers. The whole book is yeah. ways to, whether it's, you know, and just chap four, first four chapters, there's like four different classes of people, different uh, races, different. And so he's literally covering the spectrum. Like everybody needs the same thing, whether you're a rich Jewish leader, whether you're a poor Samaritan woman, a, a fisherman from Galilee, like he covers it all. Because Jesus covers it all, and that's a pretty refreshing take and, and you know thing for us to remember that it's from the richest to the poorest, whether you're you know from the East Indies or from you know Western Kentucky, like we all need the same Jesus. It is interesting that um, you know even the producer movie producers like Mel Gibson used the Book of John for the Passion of the Christ. I don't know that I knew that, and yeah, and that's the one he really leaned into. That would make sense. And then uh, for the chosen, they've they've really leaned into to the book of John for their their script writing as well. Do why people why people hating on the chosen so much? So Shannon, full disclosure, Shannon and I, uh, we kind of watched the first one. We're kind of in and out of it. Um, we're not really like binge people. Like we, I don't know. Like she'll watch some uh, The Voice or something, but we're, we don't. I don't know. We're, but we were like, and and weirdly enough, like I just started the second season with her like two weeks ago, and exactly that thinking, yeah, this is John, like he's he's starting with the book yeah, of John, so yeah. so the, the, I didn't realize that was how they used it for the base of it, but yeah, so I'm I'm uh, like, let's say four episodes in, maybe three and a half. Why why do people hate? I don't so much? I don't know. I haven't heard a ton of people that don't like it. I've it's been pretty overwhelmingly. Well, we okay. So there are some people. On our staff, well, yes, who are pretty vocal. Oh, John, I don't know. and it's like uh, I think the I think the only beef that I've heard about the chosen series is that they do, in some scenarios, take some artistic freedoms on conversation sure. and um, interactions. Like, for instance, you know, when I I just taught through. John chapter three and the Nick at night, Nicodemus coming to mm-hmm. Jesus. And so they, they document, not document, they, they portray that in the chosen and, um, it stays on course for the majority of that conversation. They do a really good job. It's almost verbatim. And then the last three to four minutes of that scene is completely con- conjecture, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, it's, off the rails per se, not anywhere from scripture. <laughs> like it takes a turn that's like it's not bad, but it's yeah. definitely they're filling in a ton of gaps. The last twenty five percent of the scene. Well, and so far I've not heard any. I've seen any of the gaps that are filled in that have changed any theology. True. Yet, and so maybe I'm going to miss it. And by the way, I'd much rather have people on our staff that are 
prickly in that way. Yeah, you know true. what I mean? Like, because yeah. it's holding to scripture. Like, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not prepared to like, like, you know, shush that at all. Uh, way, way better than the other way around. But I, you know, I'm watching it going. I don't know. You know, maybe it was. Uh, maybe Thomas was the caterer at the Cana wedding. You know, right. I don't know. It doesn't. It, does, it doesn't change. Yes. The the scripture at all. It just makes it real. And I I don't know. Maybe the the fear is that people think they're actually watching the Bible and that you know stuff that isn't in the Bible is. But we do that with sermons all the time. We're right. like, well, I, I, you know, maybe she was thinking this, and maybe she yeah. would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's cool that you know John is the premise for a lot of these because it's so because he's so detailed in his writing. Yeah. Um, and and he captures feeling. I was getting ready to say he brings a lot of life to it with with feeling and emotion. Yeah. From a perspective that maybe, you know, someone like uh, Mark or Luke, especially Matthew, which is just like straight black and white facts. Yeah. Uh, do in the in the Gospels. Yeah. Well, it makes sense when you read it, um, and it's it actually makes sense why I think back, you know, when I was younger, especially when if some like were handing out tracts, they would hand out like the Gospel of John, like with it, like that became like its own thing. And I look at it now, going, "Oh, this totally makes sense why they would do that, like the why they didn't do the Gospel of Luke or Matthew, or you know, because uh, it covers from you know uh, creation to mm-hmm. uh, resurrection." And yeah. Yeah, you, you kind of walk out of it with the, the depth of feeling, which is what John, the, this woman at the well story, which is infamous now, uh, is really an emotional story. Like it's a, this is a woman that had had a rough go and Jesus sought her out. Like that's, there's a, there's a lot of feeling and depth in just that, just what we covered last week. Well, you titled the teaching the beginning of John chapter four, the bad Samaritan. Yeah. I was out of, I was out of pop culture references. (laughs) (laughs) A good run. Yeah. I had a good run, but you know, I think it's outlived its usefulness. The bad Samaritan, not the good Samaritan that we're all very familiar of, familiar with, but the bad Samaritan. Why, why the bad Samaritan? Yeah. I, as I was reading, so first of all, the, the words, the good Samaritan do not appear in actual text of scripture. It's Mm -hmm. just a title that some, publisher thoughtfully put in there um and, and and candidly if if i'm right the story of the good samaritan the good samaritan is not we are not like it's not our example we are not trying to be the good samaritan it's actually a picture of jesus our place in that story is the the man who was robbed and beating and you know bound on the side of the road like that's that's who we are being rescued by the samaritan so we'll call that the good samaritan but this is considered, you know, roundly the bad, you know, uh, this woman. So she's not, uh, not like the good Samaritan at all. But it's she's us. I mean, that's just it. Like she's us. Uh, I'm her. She's me. We are all, you know, sitting in a well, trying to get water when the, the river of living water is begging us to come to him. Well, I mean, the fact that he's interacting with her at all is um is shocking culturally mm-hmm. um and the fact that he knows her story is shocking to her um there's just a lot happening here cu- culturally speaking maybe you can speak a little bit to that like why was it such a big deal mm-hmm. that he would even be talking to her um culturally uh, ethnically um and the fact that he knows so much about her yeah i mean they so the, uh, the the Samaritans were, uh, after the Assyrian uh, capturing of Jerusalem, there were some Jews who intermarried with Assyrians. They're oppressors. It would be like Osama bin Laden takes over America. We need a new terrorist, actually, because we keep killing him. But let's say Osama. Uh, and then some of our citizens started marrying their terrorists. You know, they're you would have some opinions about them. And yeah. so this the, here we are hundreds of years later, but these are the ancestors of that. And so they're half Jewish, half Assyrian, and I'm sure over the centuries maybe more mixed, but they became known as a very specific group of people, as a, you know, a, a race of people. And so Jesus, well, actually what I appreciated about the Chosen series was they actually also touched on the fact that 
it wasn't just dangerous. It wasn't just uh, risky or uh, controversial for Jesus to be there. It was actually risky for them to be there. Like, you know, he's walking through, you know, maybe not quite the equivalent of the West Bank for a Jew today, but not terribly far from it. Yeah. Like, these were not people that were going to be waving them in either. So he's by himself. He doesn't have Jewish authorities there. He is not necessarily protected. In that day and age, um, to get, so he was headed to Galilee, and if you were to draw a map, there is a straight line between Jerusalem and Galilee to go north, and you have to go through Samaria to do that. But Jews, traditional Jews, Orthodox rabbis especially, did not do that. They went east and then went north and then went back west again to, to get around it. Uh, so Jesus going through there, it was actually the shortest route, but it was the most dangerous route, and it was unheard of to go because it's uh, in the same way that today, like, you know, if you're even seen, you know, I, I, like I'm nervous sometimes quoting a specific theologian because I know that he has some political views that people hold to be really terrible. So if you just give him that one quote, you're like, all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a whatever. Right, yeah. So, you know, he's being, that's the risk he's taking is getting his name attached to uh, uh, an agenda that wasn't an agenda that he was attaching to. Uh, so for him to go through that was controversial, it was risky, and clearly 100%, because right in the chapter it says that he, he needed to go through Samaria. Needed to go. I think uh, must needs go is the King James version of it. And that's a word, but he's like he had a date with destiny with, uh, with maybe her name was destiny. I don't know, but he had a d date with destiny at a well with this woman. And so I mean, what's really interesting about this particular story is uh, so like the one of the church plants that I was a part of back in Ohio um, took our name from this chapter, from this from these verses. Um, we were known as Living Water Worship Center. Oh. <laughs> and so wait, uh, so wait, you guys was that the was that the Baptist church? No, this was post post Baptist those years. Yeah, so our non-denominational days when you know you, everybody took Baptist off the off the sign. Were you guys were you guys doing the tongues there? No. Yeah, I, I would have always associated the church's name Living Water with like tongues people. Like we that. probably didn't even know that that was a thing. Yeah, so. like it would have, you would have been super disappointed if you moved to Dayton <laughs> right. from because the the jet stream I grew up in Living Water. Uh, in fact, one of the camps we went to every summer, Living Water Ranch in uh, Manhattan, Kansas, oh, like wow. Living Water Christian Center, Living Water. Like we were all about Living Water. Yeah. Yeah, I know that was the name, name of the church, but it came off from this passage, you know, which is so uh, kind of close to close to my heart just from yeah. um, from a from a content standpoint of knowing, you know, the power of what that means uh -huh. and, and what she didn't know what that meant at first. But the fact that he is recounting her story to her uh -huh. really shakes things up. Uh, it's a it, you think about it it's kind of a nightmare scenario that you, you know you walk in so like I, I I've had lunch with um John Deloney on Friday he's a I, I guess he's a shrink I'd have to ask him if that's what he is uh, does radio stuff works with the Ramsey <laughs> solutions but you know I always get nervous when I'm with a guy like that because you know they're they're literally trained to know you and analyze you and you know, and he swears he doesn't, which I, and I have to take him at his word, but, um, but that makes you nervous enough, but you got someone that's not just trying to, that knows your soul, but actually knows your business. Right. And like, you know, you know, Darren, I know what you were looking at in 1988. Like I knew when the sports illustrated swimsuit edition came, I knew, you know, like I, that, I don't want anybody to know everything I ever did. Yeah. And here's this, this woman that, you know, she's. Uh, you know, it, it's clear that she's there in the middle of the day. It says by the sixth hour, which would have been about noon. Mm -hmm. And it's not a normal thing at all to, A, go by yourself to get water because it's dangerous, but, B, to go in the middle of the afternoon because it's hot. And, you know, women go in the morning or they go late in the evening. They do not. As it's to this day in developing nations. That's when they're getting their water. So here she is by herself, which means that she is She's there because she lives, and I, I did talk about this on Sunday. She lives in a small town, and the thing about a small town is everybody knows everything about you, and it's a shameful experience. So her being there at noon indicates it. So this, by the way, this, this would be, you could bust, you know, bust my chops because I'm going chosen on this. This is not in the scripture. I'm, I'm intuiting it. 
that she probably would have been there because of shame so that she didn't have to face any of the people that would have judged her so maybe even accurately, but certainly shamefully in town. So, yeah, she would have picked the middle of the day because that would have been the least. There's nobody going to be there. Yeah, there's nobody there. Yeah, because that's if you've been to a community where there's a well uh, in the morning and in the evenings, it is packed. And in the middle of the day, nobody there. Nobody. It's just too daggum hot. And so, obviously, Jesus and the disciples are coming through town, as it were, and they're thirsty. You know, they've been traveling. Uh-huh. They run into her. You you touch on, on on a few points here, and one of them, which is really good, it's a really good, um, it's it's a really good teaching point that Jesus is making here too. This idea of de- being dehydrated. Yeah, I mean, obviously, physically stopping to get water. Obviously, there's a well there. They're they're all trying to pull water to to hydrate to stay. You know, there's a power in water, right? I and mean, uh-huh. there's life in water. Um, and then the correlation of that to spiritual dehydration. Yeah, and the lesson that's being taught here. The thing that Jesus did so well was to to, uh, to attach. I mean, we're spiritual beings. You know, he's, he says that God is spirit. So there's some things we actually just don't have actual language for. It doesn't matter what language. We just don't have language for it. So he uses some metaphor to give us at least a, an idea so we could kind of understand. And so if, this Sunday, we're going to talk about food. That's literally, he goes from water to food in the next, towards the end of the chapter here. But he starts with water. And yeah, spiritual dehydration is, uh, it, like, we've all been thirsty before. But dehydrated, it's different. You, you get oh, yeah. headaches. You get. That's why we, we do these mission trips. I mean, one of the first things we do when we land, with, if we, especially if you've got a team that's never been overseas before, we we have we cover dehydration with them, and we talk, we basically talk about what color their pee is. I mean, it's a kind of crass, but it just has to happen. You know what's funny about that is we actually, and when you coach football, oh yeah, you know this. There are in the. During football season, you put up a sign in the bathrooms that's a it's a color chart. No, absolutely. There's a color chart that we hang above the urinals. Oh, I would love to get one of these for the house. <laughs> that shows that shows you know, uh, it's it's a spectrum of color, right, from clear to you know dark yellow, um, in in showing the, the different stages of heading into dehydration is a reminder to the to the young men that they need to keep drinking water and fluids. Oh. Coach, what do I do if it sizzles? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it smells like sugar puffs. Does that mean something? Like I don't know what do. Like what when I was a kid, they told us that um when your pee was yellow that it was because you're getting your vitamin C. Like it was oh, like this good so thing. And I realized it, I know we were like dehydrated most of my childhood. I didn't even know it. Like we were like celebrating that it was yellow. And and I didn't share this story on Sunday. But just a, about maybe a month and a half ago, my dad, who had just had knee surgery, had driven out into the country because you know, that's, that's what he does. And he managed to get his car stuck. And uh, and my dad does not own a cell phone. Actually, he does now. Uh, nobody knows the number, but he has it. Uh, but so he's out in the middle of nowhere walking and uh, becomes so disoriented, he f- passes out thankfully in a farmer's driveway doesn't remember any of it but he was so dehydrated he said that it was he's darren it was like i was it was like the color of dirt that i was peeing it was so dark like he was and they told him if you'd have been just a couple more hours he'd have been dead wow uh but it was massive dehydration and that the first thing that goes uh your brain is 80% water we're basically got a water bed with that's made of like with jello like it's like a one of those wonder mattresses just floating around your head but 80 percent water means that you really need water for your brain and that's the first thing that starts to go your head hurts but when you're moving into dehydration you're actually at some point not really thirsty anymore you're just dehydrated and so what you the thing you need to do the most is the thing you actually don't want to do and don't think you need to do uh it's it's different than I've been in the desert and I wake up and I'm like ah I'm so thirsty yeah sure it's like now my body is like shutting yeah. down yeah from it and so he rightly uses this metaphor of 
spiritual hydration. And what you're going to see throughout the rest of John when he starts talking about the Holy Spirit, he always refers to it in a form of water. That I'm going to leave. I'm going to, he starts here with living water. By John 7, there's a festival he's speaking. And he, says, he says, this living water is going to flow from within you. And it says, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which was yet to come. Like that, that's the, the idea is that this water would no longer be a finite thing in a arbitrary location, but actually an infinite thing that would travel with you and come from inside of you, not manufactured by you, but it coming through you. And, you know, in, in truth, that's a little bit of what our church name actually means, conduit. We talk about often we want to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, a conduit of the Holy Spirit. We are literally the living water flowing from within this church. Maybe we should change the name to Living Water. Maybe <laughs> well, that would have been a better name. Oh, oh well. It's been here all along. <laughs> We've already got the branding, so never mind. Uh, but it's, it's, man, it's just such a beautiful picture. I mean, we could, we could talk for another hour just about that and the implications of that because, I mean, the difference between flowing and living water mm-hmm. um, through a conduit versus like you like imagine that that pond in the middle of the summer that's just stagnant yeah it's got that little film all across it and there's bugs all over uh, it it's just not moving mosquito farm yeah it's water uh-huh. but it's not bringing any life uh-huh. and it reminds me of I mean, it reminds me of our friends in faraway places that don't have access to fresh living water that are it's- pulling water out of just oh. holes in the ground. Cow, literally cows are crapping oh, in the water and they're drinking it. There's no life in that. Yeah. It's the first thing we do when we when we plant a church. It's, it's why we refer, we refer to what we do in these countries as community transformation. It's the first thing we do is drill a well. If they don't have one, and most of them don't, yeah. um, then they have. And by, I mean, it's a party, man. They are ecstatic. I can't imagine. Right. Because think about as far as expectations go. I mean, in my neighborhood, I mean, Caleb, uh, Caleb's been my neighbor for a while over there. Uh, Caleb's filling in as uh, producer roles yeah. this week. He, he's, a, he's. Uh, I want him to do some little uh, DJing back there. Get, get the, <laughs> anyway, um, but you know, our people got uh, my neighborhood got mad because they started putting mailboxes all in uh, by the the amenity center. Uh, I mean, and it was like you. I mean, literally, like exclamation point, all caps, kind of posts in the Facebook group. I can't even imagine how mad we would be in our if, if the big news and the good news was now we have a well. We still got to go get the water, uh, you know, because right. we live in a country where they pipe it to us. So it, it really doesn't resonate with us. But if you've lived in a world where you have, there's literally not even a mental picture in your mind of how water could magically come into your home. But there is this well in the middle of town now that you can go to to get water from. There is a party for that. And that's... Uh, because they know it means life. It's it's life for them. It's, you know, they're, they're not especially glad to be getting water out of the nasty river. It's just that was the only option for it. And so, you know, the, the metaphor that Jesus is using here is so pertinent because this water that she's getting, um, and, and, and again, Jesus, gosh, he does such a good job with this. This is her very specific need. So here's a woman who has had five husbands and she's with another guy now, okay? So clearly one of her deepest needs for thirst was for for love, which we know this to be something even today. That's why they, you know, when Mo posts a picture on Instagram with his shirt off, we call it a thirst trap. (laughs) Like it's, you're making people thirsty. Like it's like a colloquialism in America, but that's actually because at the core of who we know that that, like that the, the quest for love is, is analogous to water. Without it, we can't survive. When we get to John, the rest of chapter John, when he talks about the food, that's actually purpose and mission. He talks about the joy of uh, my bread is to complete the will of him who sent me. Like He's talking about mission in that. So that's the food, but the water, like that we could, you know, you know, you can, you can live for days and days without food, but you can only live like two to three days without water. The water uh, is, is, is love. Like it's the need we have yeah. for love. And so she is there getting water. And here's someone who has continued to go back to her well, which was men, to get water and it's important to say it again if you didn't hear it on Sunday. Any reference to her as being a prostitute, I've read tons of commentaries and they, they refer to her as a, a loose woman, as a prostitute. 
that is all chosen level stuff. That's a, that is reading between the lines. That is not what it says. And I have been in nations like Haiti, where a young woman has no like no food, no no job, no prospects, no rights. So a man is a, is safety. It, it represents the possibility of safety. It represents the possibility of provision. And so a man comes along. He loves her. He leaves her. Usually leaves her with a parting gift of a, another child. So you'll end up in Haiti, especially with four or five, you know, six children by three or four men. It's not necessarily a loose woman. It's just a woman that just keeps getting suckered back into. And, and you put on top of that, that in that culture, I don't know about Samaria specifically, but a Jewish culture, I do know Jewish culture. She, a woman wasn't even allowed to file for divorce. The man had to be the one to do that. So she keeps getting put away. So she's desperately thirsty and i'll tell you that the the that opening or the, was it the closing of the last season of the chosen where the woman at the well scene i mean whoa like yeah mic the drop of, the end of season one what is this salty discharge coming out of my eyes like i don't know what's happening to me like <laughs> like they did a such a great job of uh when she's saying you know stop it don't don't not you you know don't do this it's like that scene from uh Goodwill hunting where it's yeah. not your fault scene. Right. right. Oh, man. Yeah. Doesn't that hit deep at 40 years old? Oh. Robin Williams and Matt uh, Damon. Matt Damon, yeah. yeah. It was before, uh, yeah, Jason Bourne. <laughs> yeah. Peter Pan and Jason Bourne. Um, but that's the idea here. This is a woman that is, whatever led her there, there's clearly shame that would have absolutely just tortured her because of everything she had ever done. And when she finally makes the connection this is not just a prophet this is not just a guy from a jewish, a jewish guy this is the messiah she it says that she leaves her water pots behind which is such a great picture because she doesn't need that water anymore uh and she runs into town and in her sales pitch is he told me everything i've ever done now if i hear that sales pitch there's a little bit of uh right not going there i don't want to know that guy and candidly, there might have been some men in that town that didn't want them to know because exactly. of what they'd done with her, right? So, but that's her sales pitch because it's no longer, she's going to the town that knew everything she ever did and shamed her for it to tell her there's a guy here that's the Messiah who told me everything I've ever done and all my shame is gone. It's profound. Come and see. Yeah. You know, and also it, that, that whole metaphor reminds me too of, you know, I'm thinking of how many water sources I have in my house. Oh, you lose count, right? Right. I think, I think I'm, I'm kind of going, taking a little quick inventory here. I think I have ten different water sources into the house. Like I could turn on a spigot or a faucet and right. water come out. Right. You don't even have to go downstairs if you don't want to, right? Like, <laughs> let alone down the street into the river. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't yeah. want to go across the room if I don't have to. And it's, it's this reminder for us, like. We could have all the water source available to us and be completely dehydrated. Uh, yeah, boy, that's really profound. And so I'm thinking of, I mean, yeah. even like in this town, right? Like uh, yeah. Franklin, Nashville, like we have all, we have, we have, we have Christian radio here. We have incredible ministries here. Mm -hmm. We have incredible churches. We have incredible teaching. We have all of these sources to living water. We have obviously the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yeah. Um, we have all of these sources of water available to us, and so many of us don't tap in, and we're walking yeah. around dehydrated and confused yeah. and alone. And yeah, because notice what yeah. he did not say. He did not say, uh, this live, you know, I'll give you this living water and you'll never drink again. He just said you'll never thirst again. That's right. Um, as so we're drinking from something. Yeah, because the profoundness of the thirst of, 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 of a well being there, like Jesus. I mean, he would have been walking, God only knows how many hours, and to get there, he would have been parched. Um, so he's, by having a source of water with you, it's almost like the picture, the only thing I, I was, and I didn't use it because it was so corny, but you know, these hiking backpacks, like when I was in the Himalayas, like they have the, the little water bladder. Uh, yeah, with the a camel little, packs. Ca is that what camel, they're called? Camelback, camel pack. Yeah. Yeah, with a little straw. So you're literally yeah. like a little camel pack you're carrying around with a straw, like you, but you still have to drink it, is your, to your point. You can be surrounded by water, but if you ain't drinking it, you ain't getting it. And so, you know, he's the picture he's saying is not that you'll never have uh, to drink again. It's just that you won't ever have to take long journeys for it. You're still going to have to drink 
and your thirst can be contained because you're always going to have a, a source of water with you. Yeah, and you could be drinking something all day long and, and and not be hydrated. You know, I remember the first time I had a kidney stone. <laughs> oh, goodness. Why do we not talk about kidney stones on Sunday? <laughs> Being dehydrated, Because right? it's like a semi-professional role. Like you're like a semi-professional uh, kidney stone guy. Like three times. But it was the first one was in, I was 24, probably. And I don't know if... Wait, you were 24? Oh, I was, oh, I was so dehydrated. Did you think you were dying? Because... Yes. There's nothing to, like, at 24, there's no wheelhouse for what a kidney stone would be. I don't know who amongst our listeners have had a kidney stone, like, attack, like, when it hits. There's no real description for it other than perhaps being uh, shot in the back, like, from point blank range. Like, I was literally sitting at my desk working in an office chair. And it hit, oh, man. and I dropped oh. to my knees and fell on the floor. Like, I literally thought I got stabbed in the back by somebody. Like, I looked behind me. And when it hits, it hits. And I remember, you know, going through the whole process, going to the doctor, and he's explaining, like, well, how these are caused. And he's like, how much water you drink uh, in a day? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know, I have, like, four Dr. Peppers a day. So it's just Dr. Pepper flavored water, right? Exactly what I told him. And he's like, that's not how that works. Right? Because I'm drinking fluids all day long, but it, it was killing my body. Like I was so dehydrated and I learned a really important lesson through that. Right? Like you've got to drink water, like the life that comes from water. It just because it's, it's liquidy doesn't mean it's refreshing. It doesn't mean it's life giving. And again, the, the, the analogy stands, right? Like we're taking in things all day long that we think are, are being, um, that are giving us sustenance, that are giving us life, the things that, um, that we partake in and consume all day long that are feeding us, and it's all junk. Mm. It's all the wrong stuff. So when you're, the kidney stones are, are moving through, is, is, is there's a level of dehydration that you're experiencing it's, at that moment? I would say nine out of 10, nine and a half out of 10 times that you have experienced a kidney stone is because you are dehydrated. Wow. The urologist was explaining that there, you, you have, getting, yeah. getting some water out right yeah, now. Yeah, well, I'm really, right. Suddenly I'm Everyone very in the thirsty. room just took a drink of water. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> thirsty all of a sudden. The, the urologist was explaining that we all kind of have kidney stones that are, that are just sitting there at all times, but they, they start to manifest and um, evacuate, as it were, uh, when the, when there's n- there's not enough moisture. When when those organs do not have enough water, it starts to push push them out, and that's that's where the pain comes from. It's basically like having a full body Charlie horse um, in in your loins. I'm really thirsty. <laughs> that that tries to get that foreign thing out. But when you're when you're hydrated. And your your organs are fully you know fully hydrated and the water consistency is correct in your body as it should be, like it's it's not a threat. Huh. And so, I changed my diet pretty quickly. Oh man, right? Chug water every day. <laughs> my my water to Dr Pepper ratio is is much better. <laughs> yeah, I used to make a case with my wife that unsweet tea is basically tea flavored water, which I'm still pretty I'm I'm almost willing to stand by that because it's just like a, a little smattering of you know. But, but I definitely have been drinking a, a lot more. And the the thing that that he was making a case for here that was so, I mean, it's just so Jesus. Is it just like normal with Jesus? He makes a case here for something, right? For thirst, and here's and as a human, here's you. You really are thirsty for specifically for love. But it's not the first time that this metaphor has been given in the book of Exodus, you know, they're in the desert and they come to this, yeah. they come to this spring, mm-hmm. um, that was called Mara, which means bitterness. And they, they, they're all, they're so excited. They're the spring and the, and the, but they, they go to drink and it's bitter water and they're another, you know, mad. And God tells Moses to take a tree, throw it in the water. The water becomes sweet. A picture of the cross, you know, always a, a tree is what is represented as a cross. throwing it into the dirty water, makes it clean. There's the time where they're in the desert. There's no water again. He tells Moses to strike a rock. He smote his rod. Smote his <laughs> upon the rock. <Yes. laughs> and water comes gushing out. Yes. Um, 
But the picture is made clear by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.4 when he says that the, the rock followed them through the desert. Nobody knows exactly how it worked. Okay, let's give it, that is the appropriate look. That rock was not a finite location. The rock went with them. Jesus, the rock, right, on this rock. The water is coming out of that rock. It's going to go with you. Um, and then later, uh, when they are in another situation, and this time Moses strikes the rock again, and God's, this, God will not let him go into the promised land because of that. And it seems so harsh and so like, good man, God, that's pretty... That's pretty cold, man. But the picture of now is that once you once you're in Christ, you don't have to hit the rock anymore. You, yeah. sp- you speak to the rock, and the rock brings you water, because uh, Christ was crucified once. He, you know, we need to crucify him again. There was, he was. It wasn't just that Moses. You know, he was mad and lost his temper and, and blew it. But it wasn't just because he hit a rock. It was because Moses was uh, blaspheming the story of that God was trying to tell with it. And then you move into Jeremiah chapter two. The people of Israel have been, you know, they've been held captive. Uh, they've been taken into a, uh, a foreign land, and uh, he is telling them uh, through the prophet chapter two that you've f- forsaken me, other idols. But verse thirteen, he then says, and here's the, the, these idols, this and that. But here's the very specific: you've done two sins. You've abandoned me, the river of fount of living water, and have dug for yourself cisterns, cisterns that hold no water. Uh, a cistern, uh, one of the things we do in, in uh, other countries as well is we, uh, for the houses we built in Haiti, for instance, one of the reasons they were a little more expensive was we built a cistern for them. And they're hard to build. You put, but you can put concrete, put, you know, uh, pour the footing and it, it's, it's, there's, they're, they're, they'll hold water forever. You know, what's really funny about this is that church that we had in Ohio that was called Living Water. Uh-huh. It was so far out in the middle of nowhere, that we actually had a cistern. No, that supplied water to the church building. Wait, what? <laughs> did you get? Did you draw it from a well, like, and pump it up into the cistern? No, we had to have it delivered once a month or whatever it was. Every two weeks, had to have water delivered and poured into the cistern. In America? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's it's the the irony Wait. is so delicious that the fact that our what? church was named oh, Living Water and that we were. Operating off of a cistern in a septic field. Wait, so <laughs> was it gravity fed? Did you have to put it up on top? So it had a, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it had a pump as well. Okay, so you so pump big it to hole the top. in the ground, big hole in the okay. ground, concrete with a pump, and that's what fed the entire building was uh, the cistern, and we had to have it water brought in, like somebody had to check the levels. Like all the, the time. propane tank here, you guys are. Tr- Pretty much, trucking yeah. In water. Trucking in water, dude. In America, yeah. I mean, Dayton, Ohio. They didn't have, uh, <laughs> they didn't have a, a septic or sewage or, or water to that particular area. It was so remote, like in a rural area. I, I'm fascinated by. So, like where we live now, they wouldn't even let you build there if you don't have water. So it's not you don't get to build. Yeah. You know, obviously, clearly another another era. <laughs> Did you drink that water? Oh man, Turn probably not. No, we knew not to drink it. Yeah, I feel like I'd be a little saltier. No, sour. No, it was a small. It was a small building, so you know, a few toilets and some some uh, some bathrooms. Bro, can you imagine how big of a cistern we'd need just for a Sunday here, man? Once the coffee hits. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> but I never, I never. So you're like explaining a cistern. I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember having to yeah. call the water company. Like, okay, you got to make sure to fill this up. I totally forgot. It was about your that. job. Did you have to put like chemicals in it or anything? Like no, like no, chlorine no, no, no. No, no, no. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, so in this day, their sister and his lady, they could, there was no water company, but they had to literally chisel them out of rock, like hammer and chisel. And so, first of all, mostly only wealthy people would have had one. But um, the bummer about the cistern was you could hammer and chisel and hammer and chisel, get your sister and put water in it, and it leaked. But you didn't know. Yeah, that's bad. Until you got to it. And eventually they all leaked. That was the thing about a cistern is eventually because it's it's literally you're hewing. Is that the verb? Hewning. Hewning? I don't think that's it. I think it is. So, yeah. Well, let's 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 check. I think it's hewing. Somebody get the verbs. (laughs) Popular conjugations with Darren and Mo. Hewning out of rock. It's a new segment, conjugating verbs. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, You're hewing it. Uh, you may be right. You're ch- let's just stay with chiseling. <laughs> That's right. 
But it's like days and months, and it doesn't hold water. And then even if it does, it won't hold water forever. And so what he's saying is that you guys have this liver, like literal river of living water, you know, and metaphorically, spiritually, their idols, so to speak, was what they were getting their love, their meaning, their purpose through these idols were cisterns that, that wouldn't hold water. That was the metaphor. And to take the metaphor even deeper, when those cisterns ran dry, they used them for graves. Now that's interesting. Uh-huh. So you, you think you're digging yourself this deep and meaningful cistern that can't hold water, and you are literally digging your own grave. And man, in America, with heart attacks with the stress the anxiety the like there is so much like we are digging our own grave while trying to find love Man, that's and, good right and they were also used uh in certain cases to well in the case of jesus uh caiaphas's house where jesus was held the night before his trial uh, we were there in 2020, and it's got incredible acoustics. And there, there are places in Israel where they they have no idea if this is where Jesus was, whatever, but it could be. There are some places where we are 150% certain this happened here. And there are some that are like, we're almost sure. Like, well, this, is, this makes the most sense. It's almost positive. Mm. And this is one of those places. We're almost positive that this is where Jesus was held. And they, it's, uh, it's recorded, right? They lowered him down, and they would have lowered him by his wrists. And the way that uh, ultimately would have been is his feet would have barely touched the floor, which would have been a form of torture. He's there all night because they can't do a trial until sunup. Right. So he is uh, held overnight. And the reason, the reason they had to lower him through a hole with a rope was because it was an empty cistern that didn't hold water. Hmm. The picture is like, boom, profound, right? But here's Jesus being held in a jail, right? So a jail, an empty cistern being used as a jail, once again, the beautiful picture of us, like building our own cisterns that we think are to hold water and they ultimately are just a prison for us. Here's the, the, the source of living water in an empty cistern the night before his trial, it's like the, the picture is just profound. I, I mean, the, I, when people say that the, the Bible is, uh, the Bible is this or this, like, man, you clearly yeah. have not under like read like what, what what God has done. Like Jordan Peterson called this the first uh, uh, hyperlinked book, hyperlinked mm -hmm. document, right? Because it's like there's so many connections throughout Scripture, and this is one where it, it just keeps going. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus's ability to connect all the dots with all the metaphors and all the symbolism mm -hmm. and all the analogies is is impeccable. I was wondering too about our friends in Haiti. Um, do they use cisterns? Do they do they dig out cisterns in the, in the mountains? They don't dig them out um, because they know that they don't hold water. Uh, they uh, porous. They uh, yeah. They they're going to leak, and so they will. Like the the church, uh, the mountain church, for instance. Right. That's what I was wondering about specifically. Yeah. There's a monstrosity of a cistern there that okay. we that we built with concrete and footers. Oh. Um, and a truck has to, just like in Dayton, Ohio, a truck <laughs> has to deliver water for it. I'm kidding me. I'm crazy, man. And we're not talking like this wasn't like the like the 1900, early 1900s. This was like 20 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. That's nuts, dude. Um, so they don't, yeah, they, and most of our friends there are not, not even kind of wealthy enough to have a, a, that kind of access to water, which is, again, wire houses that were so, they were a little bit more expensive was we were trying to build home after when the earthquake and all these houses collapsed when we were rebuilding them that was something we felt was important was to give them access to to water in their homes and so we put uh, concrete cisterns in all their homes yeah yeah i was wondering about about that specifically just based upon the landscape and their accessibility to or their inaccessibility to water yeah in of itself yeah, they, um, I mean, you remember that uh, that cave where those guys down there with the pickaxes? Absolutely, and, yeah. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you what they do use that for is uh, septic. Oh, wow. So once all the, the rock and stuff was dug out of there, and I mean, I look, the chances of me going into that hole, because, you know, we'd have 
people in church, oh, let's go get our picture made in the thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. If that thing collapses, we're just going to put, you know, we're going to put a cross here and tell you, you know, tell your mama you loved her because yeah. there's no, you're not getting out of that. But I remember visiting the, the when they were still building Mountain Church in, in Haiti and uh, coming upon that little cave and how they were uh, hewing out. With the a, rock. With a pickaxe and the sheer force of their will, man. Update, we're both kind of right. Hewing is the correct word. Hewing. That's okay. the present. So that makes me correct, to be clear. Yes. But hewn is the past uh, participle. So you are correct as far as uh, the past, present, future, and I was correct in the conjugation. <laughs> So yes, so we were both right. Uh, hewn and hewing, <laughs> you know, it's funny because that that is uh, like an Old Testament word uh, to hew rock. Yeah, it's, right. Yeah, Doesn't it feel pretty King James? Yeah, it feels very King James. I mean, honestly, you can't really trust. I mean, I graduated from a school that was basically farmers' wives who were trying to you know finance their uh, husbands' farming habits, and uh, teachers who couldn't get jobs anywhere else. So. Uh, I've been told, and I don't know if this is to be true or not, uh, Caleb, you might want to Google this, but I've been told that if I hang my high school diploma in my car window that I can actually qualify to park in handicap spots <laughs> from it. So, uh, you know, you don't want to trust my conjugation. Yeah, whatever it takes. You also referenced a Chris Stapleton song in this teaching, which is, you know, you talk about your, your pop culture well, you know, relevant. I tell my wife if I'm a pop culture aficionado. Man, brought in a Chris Stapleton song. Now, the theology of the song isn't necessarily, uh, you know, going to be played on K-Love probably anytime soon. No, it's neither positive nor encouraging. <laughs> so, um. But the story it tells um, aligns with the um, the sentiment. Yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, uh, you know, props to Chris Talley. You know, he, he's a great little theology text yeah, guy. Yeah, I love Chris. Um, we were chatting about that song specifically. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the idea that here's a guy that, you know, the, 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 clearly the wrong woman and she's got the shovel digging my own grave and you've got the shovel. It's like, oh, this is exactly, uh, all of our lives. Like the kind of trouble I crave, like, you know, he's using the exact language, just didn't know he's, you know, theologically singing with it. What was profound about that song is that she has to, she comes to the conclusion that Jesus is Messiah. And why that's important, uh, you know, where Chris Stapleton is right, was that if, if I, you know, I think the course is, you know, my mama was a, a good example. My dad gave me good advice, but the devil always, or Jesus steering me, something like that. Jesus is going to steer my life, but the devil always made me think twice. And if, if I'm just facing Jesus as someone who's giving me good advice, I can't, that's not going to save me. That's not living water. That's just another cistern that doesn't hold water so it, he's right in that like if that's if that's where jesus is if that's if the woman at the well walked away that man jesus you know he gave me some good views on some stuff um th that's th that doesn't save you that's why it's called the good news not the good views of, of jesus the, the good news is that he's come to set us free to come to save us from us to give us the living water that we need you know there's a, there's several different cisterns that we've that we build for ourselves that turn into graves. It feels like I mean one of one of the most obvious is you know in, in current culture right now is this progressive thinking that's leading us the wrong direction, not to life but to death. Yeah. Um, the the faith that we put in these these cisterns that we build um, that look like you know our profession that we we sacrifice ourselves to our careers uh, for the sake of you know, at the at the at the mercy of everyone else, um, pursuing money and uh, pursuing wealth, and and those things take precedent over the actual thirst quenching truth of of Jesus. Um, putting our faith in government, putting our faith in science, like that's the buzz theme well, right now, right? Yeah, because the difference, right, is if it's your life, like if I'm getting life from this. Which is what, you know, uh, the, the Bible speaks of idolatry uh, as, well, like worship is all, whatever you're offering your life to. Romans 12 says that this is your spiritual act of worship when you offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, acceptable unto God. That's a definition of worship, whatever, if you're offering your life to God that way. And idolatry is 
offering my life as a living sacrifice to anything other than God. That's Jeremiah 2. I'm offering my life. to. I'm betting, I'm staking my life on this. And man, yeah, I, I, our modern culture, uh, at least Western culture, yeah, there is an idolatry around uh, financial success for sure. But the one that I didn't fully appreciate was the idolatry of, uh, quote-unquote, the science. Like, the, a literal idolatry, staking our lives on it. And the thing about, quote-unquote, the science is it changes so much over time so that things that people were staking their lives on two years ago turned out to not be accurate. Like we're staking our lives on whether this vaccine works. We're staking our lives on these masks that are going to work. We're staking our lives. If we'll just do this in two weeks, we'll... And, and it, you know, whatever, that feels like maybe I'm, I'm picking the, the lower fruit or you know, bottom feeding, whatever. But it's like, that, there was, a, if you think we weren't, we weren't worshiping that, the amount of fear and anger and rage from, the, 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 if, if you questioned it at all, they, clearly they were worshiping science. You know, not, not like a thing, but like this ethereal ideology of it that didn't hold water. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I mean... Doesn't hold water. I mean, at the end of the day, what we were told about some things from very important people, that didn't hold water. You know, I am a vivid, I vividly remember, you got to get the vaccine because you'll keep other people from getting it. And just last month, Pfizer is saying, well, we actually never tested that on humans. It wasn't something we ever, we didn't know that it would not allow you to pass it on. You know what they tested it on? Eight mice. Did you know that? No. Eight mice. And that's starting to leak <laughs> out now. Talking about leaks. Leaking out, yeah. That's just, that's why that didn't hold water because that man that's a that's a cistern with holes you could drive a car through. Yeah. Eight mice? Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. The things <laughs> that are that are <laughs> that are coming out about this is not good. I mean, we're short on time, but um, there's there's a vote today. CDC is voting um, to establish the um, the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, to be a part of the regular childhood um, list schedule, vaccine schedule for children to enter into public schools wow. so today, prior to kindergarten. Today, October nineteenth, twenty twenty two. I wonder if they've done it already. So, and they're, and of course, they don't. They're not going to pass. They don't make law, but they certainly, well, they certainly inform laws. Do you remember how dumb I was? Uh, one of the things I said by April was, whatever CDC guidelines are, we're going to, uh, we're going to adhere to these things. Sure. Uh, it was about eight. Uh, it wasn't even eight weeks. Before long, I figured, oh, this is incredibly dumb. <laughs> right. Like the CDC, the, the CDC, uh, which even now, like, you know, you, you, they're, they're finally starting to write the pieces in the Atlantic and the New York Times about how the CDC screwed this up. But, you know, this is, it's a fallible system. Yeah. And heartbreaking that we find ourselves here where we are. But, it, you know, like if to, to, to say now that a child... Uh, to put, like to put this, and I, of course I haven't read any of this yet, but to, to say that this needs to be a requirement for a child to get into school, how many? Is it the booster? Is it, it clearly wears off. Like that's not even a debate anymore. Like that's not, so, you know, it'd be the equivalent of saying a kid's got to get a flu shot. Like, is that every year then? Is it just kindergarten? Is it? Right, of which are not mandated or, or not a part of the regular schedule. Flu shot is not a part of a, a right. child's uh, vaccine schedule. Right, and it would be madness if it was. You know, they, which which you know which flu shot are you going to get? What year is it? You know, is it every year? Or do you got to do it every September? You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah, you're going to see a lot in the news about this, depending on what your news source is. Um, <laughs> but the only hope that we have towards this is obviously people push, pushing back, raising their voices, um, but also each state. Um, determines what the the vaccine requirement schedule is. So it's not federally governed. It is state governed. So there's some hope there. However, we know how that has um, 
played out over the past three years. We're coming up on three years of this, by the way. Oh, buddy. Um, and, you know, wow. every month that passes, um, we've, we get a little more clear picture of what really um, has gone on. And I feel like we haven't had to make any huge or at all uh, uh, retractions at this point. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Right? I, mean, I guess my retraction was I trusted the CDC for yeah. a few weeks, yeah, so I go. retract that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> but uh, it's it's just incumbent upon us to stay aware, right, that we, are, um, that we stay in the know, that we're paying attention, that we are taking our heads out of the sand um, and paying attention and drinking from sources that, uh, water sources that bring life. You know, that bring life that are truth um, and nothing that's that's fake or artificial. Hmm. Like a Dr. Pepper. Like a Dr. Pepper. Which is really good. It tastes amazing. Yeah. A Coke Zero. A Coke Zero. Mm. But it doesn't it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't quench. No. And it's and that's the thing about drinking, you know, uh, enough water. If you're drinking enough, this is what uh, a doctor told me once was that if you're drinking enough water to for your for your day to not be dehydrated, you're actually not going to be thirsty when you drink. So you're not just waiting till you're thirsty to drink. You're just drinking so you don't get thirsty. Jesus, you'll never thirst again. Like yeah. That's the whole picture. It's good. What's the back half of chapter four bring us this week? Um, well, the TBD, because it may or may not be two sermons in Ooh. here, but um, I know after we talk about how long it's taken in John, but um, for sure where we're going is Jesus uh, is headed... He's, he's headed back to Capernaum, but before he does, he has this interaction with his with his disciples, uh, who are they've come back. Like, why are you talking to this woman? Uh, we've got you your sandwiches, you know, from from the quick trip back in town, or the Chick Fil A. Probably was Chick Fil A. It was absolutely Chick Fil A. Jesus, Jesus Chicken. It was not Sunday. Uh, they come back with. He's like, uh, I have bread that you don't you know that you don't even know of. Like, and of course, once again, disciples going. Uh, I'm sorry, what? And but that's when he says the the my meat uh, the meat that you don't even know about is the, to do the will of the Father who sent me to finish the job. And he talks about the harvest and the joy for the sower and the reaper, and that's the picture, right? That if if the water is about love, right, then this is about purpose, mission. Like the the mission of uh, of being a Jesus person is a, is a mission so profound of literally transforming people's lives, of transforming communities, that my little measly job couldn't compare to that kind of joy of living life on mission. And so, anyway, that we're gonna we're gonna dive into what that looks like. That's good. Thank you for joining us on this week's deeper. We're catching up here a little bit. Excited, obviously, to go through this this book series of John chapter four. If you missed the teaching from last week, you can just scroll up or down depending on what device you're using and listen to that. And then join us on Sunday, whether in person or online, youtube.com forward slash conduit church. You can join us with our live stream each and every week. You can also scroll through there and watch some previous teachings. And we will be back here next week as we continue through John chapter 4. And now, let's go drink some water. Let's do it.